We are going to go quickly to the word of the Lord. Is anybody excited for what God is going to do tonight? We are going to go to Genesis chapter 28 and verse 11. And now, young people, y'all probably had an inkling of an idea that I may have done, may do something like this. All my young people, all my youth, I get a little bit nervous, a little bit uncomfortable up here in front of all these adults. Stresses me out a little bit. So I need every young person, every hyphen, everybody that, that 36 and under, if you come to the hyphen stuff, come to the youth stuff, I need you to come right up here, up front. Uh, you can fill in this, these two rows right here. Uh, just kind of try to make your way to the first two rows uh, anywhere in this sanctuary. I, I need your help here tonight. I'm talking to all y'alls. And I'll, I'll start calling you out. Don't, don't make me do it, y'all. Don't make me do it. Brother Caden, don't make me do it. First two rows, please. All these TSM. Y'all give it up for TSM. Y'all know that y'all have some awesome kids. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 11. If you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, you should have turned quicker. The Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 28 and verse 11, And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. The Bible says that he took of the stones of that place. Somebody say it was a stony place. He took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. He took the stones and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Now turn quickly to the book of John chapter 8 and verse 9. Bible says, the book of John, chapter 8 and verse 9, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst the Bible says that they went out being convicted. Every one of the accusers went out of that place because of conviction. Brother Gary, would you throw that definition up there for me, please? We've been reading from the Word of God, but we're about to turn to Brother Google. I forget, we were at camp meeting this week, and I believe it was Brother Marks maybe that said, he said, uh, Google must have been a prophet because they say some pretty good stuff. I'll read it to you. This is the definition I'm wanting to give you. Keep this in the back of your head because we're going to talk about it. Uh, it is the word paradox. Has anybody ever heard the word paradox? By show of hands, does anybody know the definition of the word paradox? Man, I get to... I'm like, Matt Tuttle tonight, I get to impart revelation into y'all's lives. This is great. Paradox. This is the definition that Google gives us. 
a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So a paradox would be like this. You take two words, maybe like hot and cold. They seem to be contradictory to each other. They seem to be opposites. But whenever you explain hot and cold, somehow the way they fit together, there is a unique explanation behind the similarities of these two words. So tonight, I'm going to preach about a paradox of two words that I believe that whenever you look at these two words, they seem to be opposites. It would seem to be absurd, if you will, to try to draw similarities between them. But when further investigated, they have a lot more in common than we may think. And with the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to preach, teach for the next few minutes on the paradox of comfort and conviction. The paradox of comfort and conviction. I feel the help of the Lord right now in this place. Could we put our Bibles down, put our phones down, and just get everything else out of our minds? And could we just for the next couple of moments throw our hands in the air and begin to ask God to have his way and for his voice to be in this house? God, we love you tonight. We thank you for the Holy Ghost that we feel already. God, I'm asking you tonight. There's no doubt in my mind that you have spoken to me. So, Lord, the same revelation that you showed me six or seven years ago while sitting in an upper room office at a church, I pray that you would pour this revelation out to your people, that you would help me to be a conduit of your love and of your mercy and of your grace. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help me, God, to be a help to your body tonight. Pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that there would be understanding and divine revelation in this house tonight. We thank you. We give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. And someone say, in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated tonight. Tonight, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to speak on a subject that I believe we talk a lot about, but some of us may not understand it very well. Or perhaps you have a false understanding of the subject of conviction. Or maybe throughout the years of your life, uh, living as an apostolic Pentecostal and hearing the word conviction talked about and preached about, at some point in your life, maybe you've come to the crosswords, uh, crossroads and you have a negative view on this thing called conviction. Maybe, and I feel like we've all been guilty of it tonight, whenever you hear that someone is a conviction preacher or there is going to be a convicted, convicting message preached, immediately what comes to your mind is, ooh, we're going to cry tonight, and oh, conviction's about to fall, and we're going to crawl to an altar, 
And we're going to beg God for forgiveness. And conviction has almost, uh, in the lives of many, especially in this day and age, become a dirty word that can be used or talked about. But with the help of the Holy Ghost tonight, I'm going to try to paint a different picture of conviction in your lives this evening. Now, I used to, just a few years ago, whenever I would pray, I often said this before I was to preach a message uh, in my pre-prayer, before the message was to be given forth, I would pray and I would ask God, I would say, God, I want you to touch, I want you to bless, I want you to anoint. Then I would use this phrase, God, I want you to show mercy where mercy needs to be shown. And if it's conviction that you need to bring, convict us where conviction needs to be brought. And just a couple few years ago, God spoke to me whenever I prayed that. And God told me, stop praying the same prayer in two different ways. God brought a revelation into my life, and it's simply this. There is no difference between mercy and conviction. I've come to tell you tonight that mercy is not something that is silent. Mercy is not something that sits there idle until one day someone just happens upon it and just happens to find it whenever they're living a life of lasciviousness and a life of sin. Mercy is not a silent characteristic of Christ. But mercy has a voice tonight. And I've come to preach to someone this evening that mercy's voice is conviction. If mercy was to cry out, if mercy had a song, if mercy had a voice, the voice and the song and the thing that mercy would cry out would be the voice of conviction. Understand with me that I'm not preaching about Uh, condemnation in this house tonight don't get the two twisted they're not one and the same though the enemy would try to tell you that condemnation and conviction run hand in hand that is a lie from the enemy the difference is this conviction comes from God and condemnation comes from the devil you see condemnation says this condemnation says you fell you messed up you sinned You fell short. You did something terrible. And you have no chance to get right with God. There is no mercy for you. There is no longer salvation for you. And no matter how many times you try to repent. And no matter how many times you try to say you're sorry. Or find an altar of repentance. The devil will tell you you are condemned to spend eternity in hell. But I thank God that contrary to the voice of the enemy and contrary to the voice of the world, there is another voice. It's called the voice of mercy. And it's the voice of an advocate that we have with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's called conviction. And the voice of conviction says, no matter how far you fall and no matter how much you mess up and no matter what sin you commit, there is always room at the table for you. And all you've got to do is find yourself at an altar of repentance and God is faithful and he is just to forgive all manner of sin. So I'm not preaching about condemnation. I'm preaching about conviction. I'm preaching tonight about the voice of mercy. 
Now, understand with me that in my few short years of living, specifically living for God, I have found that it is impossible to be comfortable by the world's standards and receive conviction in your life at the same time. Let me say that again. It is impossible to be comfortable by the world's standards and to receive conviction in your life at the same time. We live in a world and in a society where everything that they pursue, everything that they do, everything that the world preaches and teaches, and the doctrine of the world is to do whatever it takes to be comfortable. Cut off whatever you've got to cut off. Put on whatever you've got to put on. Take away whatever you've got to take away. It doesn't matter what you change. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter if you're completely anti what God called you to be. Whatever it takes so long as you have comfort in your life. But I've come to preach to you that no matter how much the voice of the world cries out and tells you to do whatever you need to do to be comfortable, there is another voice. And it's the voice of mercy. And it's saying that you are fine the way that God created you to be. That you are right. And whenever you are living a righteous life, and though at times it may not be the most comfortable thing to be, I choose to hear and believe the voice of mercy. We come to a point in the Bible in the book of Genesis, chapter 28 and verse 11, where Jacob is on a journey just as he was many times in his life. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 11 that Jacob lighted upon a certain place and he tarried there all night. Because the sun was set. And the Bible says that this place was a stony place. And he took of the stones of that place. And in this moment, Jacob made a great mistake. He made a great error in his walk with God. He comes to this place that is a a rocky place, a stony place. And instead of doing what he should have been doing, the Bible says that he took the stones of this place and he made a pillow. He tried to make of this stony place a place of comfort, a place that he could fall asleep, and a place that he could just be comfortable understand with me that the place that Jacob was in in that moment was never meant to be a place of comfort I said the place that Jacob was in was never meant to be a place of comfort. Understand with me, there are times that we come into the house of God and we come here and we do whatever we can do to try to make the house of God a place of comfort. But I've come to tell someone that according to the world's standards of what comfort is, the house of God was never meant to be a place of comfort. How do you know? Here's how I know. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 that Jesus said, I say unto thee, Peter, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is the rock that the church is built on? The rock the church is built on is the revelation of who Jesus Christ was. Well, what does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? 
The Bible says that he's going to be a stumbling block and he's going to be a rock of offense to every sinner and every person that doesn't listen. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says that you're going to be hated for my name's sake. Understand with me that according to the world's standards, this house was never meant to be a house of comfort. And here's what happened to Jacob. After he tried to make a place that was never supposed to be a comfortable place into a place of comfort. The Bible says that he built those stones into a pillow. But at some point, God had to step into Jacob's life. It feels real tight in here tonight. So here's what I want us to do. I feel like God is truly trying to speak to us tonight. I've been praying about this for the past couple of days. And just a few months ago after I preached here last time, God spoke to me and told me that this was going to be the next message that I was going to preach here. So could we all stand just for a moment? And if you have ever prayed in your life, I want us all to pray that God would break the chains off of this building right now. I believe that God is going to have free course in this place. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, we bind together in unity. I pray right now that revelation would fall. I pray that the love of God, I pray that the love of God would fall in this house. Uh, that the voice of love uh, would triumph over every voice. Uh, I pray that mercy would be felt. Uh, I pray that joy would be felt. Uh, God, I pray that your love would be in this house right now Lord we're believing you to do something great and mighty in this place Jesus have free course I believe right now that we are a truth preaching church and that at truth church God is allowed to have free course I believe we're a spirit filled church and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty there's liberty for the word of God to be preached unadulterated without chains without and the spirit of the Lord is in this house right now the Bible says that Jacob made a pillow you can be seated the Bible says that Jacob made a pillow and at some point in his deep slumber and sleep God had to come down and shake his world up a little bit he had to send him a dream but not just any dream I know the word of God says that he had a dream but you'll see in just a moment that it wasn't just a dream that Jacob had Jacob was having a nightmare God came, he spoke to him, he made him promises, he, he did all these great things while Jacob had tried to make it a place of comfort. And the Bible says in, the, in verse 17 that he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? There is none other, this is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Understand with me that in this moment, after Jacob tried to make his life as comfortable as he possibly could, God had to come down into his world and shake a few things up. I'm preaching to somebody tonight that you've tried to make your world comfortable according to the standards of, of the world. And right now, God has walked into your life in the time that you feel the most comfortable according to the world standards. And he's begun to shake some stuff up. And he's begun to break some stuff up and you feel like you're going through a nightmare that's worse than anything you've ever felt and your life is crashing down and you're saying every time you come to church you're saying this is a terrible place this is a dreadful place this is a scary place but I've come to tell you that this is the house of God 
And watch what Jacob did. Those same, those same stones that he first attempted to make a pillow out of. The Bible says in verse 18 that he rose up early in the morning. There's some things, hear me young people, there's some things that you can only accomplish early in the morning. There's some prayer meetings that can only be established whenever you cut the flesh away from your life and you rise up early in the morning. The Bible says that Jacob rose up early in the morning and he took that very same stone. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. He took that very same stone that he made a pillow out of the night before and he took it and he began to build and he began to form and he began to fashion and instead of a pillow in his life, the Bible says he made a pillar in his life. Understand with me that this wasn't the only time that Jacob took a stone and made a pillar. Genesis 25, 14 and 15. The Bible says that Jacob met with God. And at this meeting place, it again was a stony place. And after he met with God, you know what he did? He built a pillar. He built a pillar, and then he called that place Bethel. Does anybody know what Bethel means? The house of God. There is a, 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 a parallel line between the house of God and stony places. And here's how I know. Because you cannot build a pillar out of sand. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Not the sand and not the grass. You know why you can't build a pillar out of sand? Because the moment you put pressure on sand, it crumbles. It may have a form of a pillar. A sand castle may have a form of a castle, but you go ahead and let them waves beat up against it. You go ahead and let a little boy that ain't paying attention run through that junk. And that's going to crumble to the ground because this, the house of God has got to be built on a rock. And the pillar has to be made out of stone. I don't know about you, but I don't want pillows in my life. I think I'd rather have a pillar. It may not be comfortable, it may not be relaxing, it may not be something that feels good to me, but I would rather be in the stony, hey Lot, let me talk to Brother Lot a little bit, that he's at a place, you're at a place right now with Brother Abraham, with the founder of our faith, and you're having a conversation with Brother Abraham, and Brother Abraham says, you can either take the valley down here, where there's a nice stream flowing through it, and it looks good, and the grass is green, and it looks like the fields are just plentiful, or you could go up here to this stony place, and you're gonna have to walk uphill the whole way. You won't, down here at the valley, you can walk downhill. It'll be a nice, easy trek to get there, and once you get there, everything's gonna be butterflies and roses. Or you could choose the stony place. You know up there where one day it's going to be called Bethel. One day it'll be called the house of God. Let me preach to a lot tonight. 
the decision that you're about to make in your life. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. Let me tell you lot, you better pick the mountain. Don't you be swayed by the beautiful streams that flow down in the valley of the world. Don't you just get a little comfortable in, in the downward slope of the trajectory into the valley. I've come to tell someone tonight, hey, Brother Lot, do you know where you're leading your family to? Do you know where you're leading your wife to? It may look pretty. It may look comfortable. But there's safety in the mountain why do you think it is that every time an army would go to battle the first thing they would do brother trevor is they would find the highest ground they could find because when you're at the mountaintop you can see things in the valley that you can't see whenever you're in the valley but i've come to tell someone tonight even if you feel like you're in the valley guess what if i make my bed in hell Thou art there. If I ascend into the heavens, thou art there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thyself. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself right now. You don't got to look to the world in the valley, but his rod and his staff, they'll comfort you. I've come to tell someone that's messed up and you're in the valley. The voice of mercy is crying out to you and his rod and his staff are here to comfort you tonight. Don't you dare go to the world to look for the comfort. His rod and his staff will comfort you. be seated discomfort discomfort he'll he'll get in your life he'll shake you up he'll he'll send a few nightmares into your world he'll he'll alter the trajectory of what you thought would be a perfectly comfortable life that you were gonna live and you thought that you was just gonna skip on through life and everything was going perfect. Had a good job. Had a future. You thought you had everything in order. But I've come to tell you that there's times that God is going to come. And he's going to, he, he'll, he'll come and smote you on the hip. Whenever you're skipping through the, the tulips. I don't know if that's something people, people skip through. But God will come down in what you think is a perfectly comfortable life. And he'll ask you the question, what kind of man do you want to be? What kind of woman do you want to be? And you'll have an encounter with him. And when you make up in your mind, hey, I want to be a blessed man. I want to be a blessed woman. And I'm not going to leave. I'll fight whoever I got to fight. I'll wrestle whoever I got to wrestle. Just like Jacob did. I'll wrestle and I'll fight. And I'm not leaving. I don't care if the day is breaking. I don't care if it's in the night. Hey, it's real easy to fight in the day. But sometimes you got to strap on them combat boots. And you got to fight in the night a little bit. And I'm not leaving. Someone here needs to make the determination in their mind that I'm not leaving until God blesses me. 
You know what a blessing looks like? Like Pastor said last Sunday, getting out the car with them hip issues. It looks like some discomfort. Man, that dude went through some discomfort. Do, do you see how he's? Do you do you see how he's walking? Sometimes you have to have some discomfort in your life before the blessing can come into your world. He'll have to mess up your walk. He'll have to. Give you some discomfort before the blessing can truly have free course in your life. Understand with me that although the world cries out that the only thing that matters is comfort. I've come to tell someone today, it's a funny fact of life, that the more you grow, the less comfortable those old clothes you will get. There's some stuff that as you grow in Christ, it just don't fit no more. There's some stuff that is, you know what the Bible tells us to do? That we should all try to grow to the stature of Jesus Christ. And the, the, the closer you get to the stature of Jesus Christ, there's some clothes you used to put on. There's some things in your life you used to do. There's some places that you used to go that as you begin to get to the stature of Jesus Christ, it just... It gets real tight and it gets real constricting and there's just some things that won't fit your life anymore and when you begin to walk with God it restricts you so what you gotta do is you gotta and you gotta put the whole armor of God on you've got to grow to the stature of Jesus Christ Understand with me. God gave me this message when I was 18 years old. And I preached it for the first time a little bit differently. See, the end of last year, beginning of this year, upstairs, TSM. Acts like you've never heard it before. But I believe, I, I wondered because, man, young guy, 18. Look, these thoughts ain't for free, Okay. 18 years old, you got to put some study into this stuff, some effort into it. And I'm thinking, man, that's such a good thought. 19 years old come, man, that's a good thought. 20 years old, man, God, just let me preach it. Such a good thought. 21, 22, 20. You know what God was waiting for? He was waiting for the culture to get so bad that they would do whatever it took to be comfortable before God said, okay. Now it's time, oh boy, for you to preach that thought that I gave you six, seven years ago. Do you guys understand how bad our culture is right now? Canada. Canada is passing laws right now that if you're 18 years old, if you're 18 years old and you have any illnesses, including mental illness, you can call your local physician and say, hey, doc, I want to die. Will you help me out? And it is not against the law. It is 100% legal. If you say I'm depressed and you call a doctor and say, hey, I just want to die, that they will assist you in suicide. 
Look it up. All over the news. Because the world says, whatever it takes for me to feel comfortable, cut it off. Take it away. Add to. It don't matter. Whatever it takes for me to be comfortable in my own life, I'll do it. I'll go there. I'll take it that far. I'll go to the grave if it means that I'll be comfortable. Now understand with me. Conviction. Harsh word, huh? What y'all don't understand is conviction is already in this room. And here in about five or ten minutes, the voice of mercy is going to cry out for every single person in this house. But let me, let me allow you to look at a different side of conviction. We always view conviction as that voice that speaks to us whenever we've sinned and we've messed up. And it can feel kind of nasty, right? It can feel, make you feel a little dirty, right, Brother Trevor? If you're, you're doing something wrong and you're in a service and pastor's preaching one of those messages. Y'all know what I'm talking about, one of those messages where he, I mean, just stomping on your toes the whole time he's preaching. Can make you feel a little dirty, a little nasty. Feel, feel like, you know, you just messed up. You, you've fallen short. And it's the voice of mercy. It's that conviction that will come to you and it will speak to you. And it will say, hey, Sister Genevieve, Sister Genevieve, you ain't been living right. You, you, you know what you did at school the other day. You know you snuck a peek over there at your friend's test answers. You know you did that. And the voice of conviction will speak to you and say, okay, buddy, it's time to find you an altar. There's an advocate that's here, and he wants to forgive you, and he wants to show you mercy, and he's here right here for you. And that, that's what we view conviction as, right? It's God's voice telling us, hey, you've sinned, you've fallen short, you've messed up, go to an altar, repent, and I'm faithful to forgive you. And until then, you're going to feel nasty and dirty. Until that happens. But go with me to the book of John chapter 8. The Bible says, I believe around verse 6 or 7, maybe a little bit before that. The Bible says that there was a woman caught in the very act of adultery. She messed up. She sinned. She made a mistake, right? Anybody ever been there before? Anybody ever sinned before? Come on now. Let's not do it right now and be a liar. Lord, have mercy. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Here's what happened. Big group of Pharisees, Sadducees, all the E's and C's and all those guys. They came and got this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And they found Jesus. And they took this woman. And they cast her at his feet. And they said, here's what Moses said. Here, this is what the law said. Stone her till she dies. Get rid of her. Kill her. Take her out. Here's what Jesus said. You know, he drew on the sand. I'm not even going to try to get into that. Everyone's tried to preach it, has preached it, done great, beautiful messages. I'm telling you, I love the messages about what Jesus wrote in the sand, but we're going to kind of skip past that. Jesus told him, he said, you who are without sin, 
I want you to cast the first stone. Then he began to write in the sand. Okay? Cast it. Throw it. Kill her now. Knock her dead. Anyone without sin. But here's what came to my attention. As I was studying this word that we use all the time called conviction. You know how many times I found it in the Bible? One time. The word conviction is in the Bible one time. That's it. Talk about it. Now, mind you, I know they were pricked in their heart. Probably means the same thing, convicted. But for the sake of my message, the actual word conviction is in the Bible one time. And it's here in John chapter 8 and verse 9. The Bible says, after Jesus said, you that was without sin cast the first stone, the Bible says that they which heard it, being convicted. Wait, 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 wait. So it wasn't the woman that had just committed adultery that, that was convicted? Let's keep going. They that heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So everybody, except for the woman, felt conviction. What did the Pharisees do? I mean, come on now. They, they perfect. They know the letter of the law, back of their hand. I mean, what, what did they do wrong? Here's the revelation God gave me. In the only scripture that says the word conviction. This is it. Are you ready? I've been preaching this entire time just so you could hear this verse right here and get this point. In fact, we can all stand because the musicians need to come. Here's what happened. The Bible says, no doubt in my mind, that woman felt convicted, Brother Ash. No doubt. She, she had just committed adultery. And she was caught. And she was thrown at the feet of God. She felt conviction. But understand with me, is there's another side of conviction. And while conviction does have a voice, I need someone to hear me in the Holy Ghost tonight. I need someone to hear what I'm about to say in the Holy Ghost tonight. While conviction's voice does speak to the sinner and tells them you've messed up, you've got to go repent and get right. The voice of conviction also speaks to the ones with the stones in their hand. The voice of conviction also speaks to those that have the rocks about to kill the sinner. The voice of conviction speaks to the accuser of the brethren. It says you've got to put those stones down. Oh, come on. I've come to preach to a people that you feel like uh, conviction has been nothing but a negative in your life. But I've come to tell you that conviction tonight uh, is going to be your saving grace. Because the voice of conviction is crying out to every person. It's crying out to that devil in hell that's got the stones raised. And you're laying on the floor in a ball. A sinner. You messed up. You fell short of the glory of God. And the accuser of the brethren is standing there with a stone in their hand. You're in a place 
of great discomfort. I have no doubt that was the most uncomfortable moment of that woman's entire life. Cast at the feet of Jesus, the perfect Savior. The accusers of the brethren standing there with the stones in their hand. Moses and the prophets said this. The law sets a stone her to death. And she's laying there, oh God. Oh God. <laughs> and then, maybe just a whisper. No one else could really hear it. But there was a voice. There was a voice that came. And it went into the ears of not the woman who committed the sin. But it went into the voice of those that were accusing her. And trying to banish her to death. And trying to send her in that very moment in an unrepented state to hell. And the voice of conviction spoke to the accusers of the brethren and said, drop it! There's still life for this woman. Put that stone down! She still has life to live. I don't know who I'm preaching tonight to, but there is a paradoxy of comfort and conviction. And here it is. told you all service it's impossible to feel convicted and comforted at the same time convicted and comfortable by this at the same time but here's the paradox in that moment where conviction was so thick in that room it was thicker than the sand that Jesus stuck his finger in and began to ride in where conviction filled the house just like it's filling the house right now I guarantee you, the second they dropped those stones, that woman was in the most comfortable place she'd ever been in. God, let revelation fall on this house. I have no doubt in my mind if we could all make our way to the altars. God is wanting to heal some things tonight. God is wanting to touch some hearts tonight. That's the paradoxy of comfort and conviction. Though they may sound like antonyms, though they may sound like they have no correlation, the moment conviction fell and spoke in that building, in that wilderness, in that temple, wherever it may have been, that was the most comfortable place that woman had ever been in. Because the Savior picked her up, looked her in the eyes, and said, go. He said, woman, where'd your accusers go? Woman, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Woman caught in the act of adultery. Do you, do you feel that? Man living a sinful life. Listen, listen, listen. That's the voice of conviction. 
and it's speaking to the accuser in your life and it's telling him drop the stone drop the rocks drop it there's still life worth living I know they're in the valley right now I know they chose my God I know they chose the valley over the mountain but there's still time for them to turn their pillow into a pillar there's still time for them to make a place and make an altar and find me again I think it would be good we took this moment and let the voice of mercy cry out Come on, Lot. You don't have to choose the valley. You don't have to choose the valley. There's still time to go to that stony place. But even if you're in the valley, even if you messed up, yay! <laughs> Though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death I'm not going to be afraid because he's with you his rod and his staff they comfort you oh, come on truth church cry out to him right now here it is John chapter 14 and verse 26 for those of you still wondering how to conviction and comfort, how do they run hand in hand? Where's the similarities between them? God is the one that sends conviction. We've established that. But watch what John chapter 14 and 26 says. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you Jesus who is the voice of mercy the one that brings conviction he said in John 14 18 I will not leave you comfortless I will come See?